Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed on TNT with Mark Morano. I'm your host. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm wearing a human hair wig. It's been recycled for the explicit purpose of saving the planet from global warming. Or so claims the Washington Post. Breaking news alert. They're now coming for your hair, the climate agenda. The Washington Post is is touting recycling human hair into clothes as a climate solution. Weaving with human hair keeps hair out of landfills and incinerators where it would release greenhouse gases. I've always thought of that when I went to the barber shop. Is what happens to the hair that they sweep up on the floor? My first thought is the polar bears, the ice caps, Florida underwater. Get me that hair. I want to make a suit out of human hair. What is this? Uh, Silence of the Lambs, 1990 with uh, with uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins in the movie where they're making human skin and weaving clothes into that. Now, they, of course, people have made clothing out of just about everything. But now the Washington Post, this is actual headline is about weaving human hair. Here's an excerpt of the Washington Post. And this is the hair. I guess I should probably take this off now. But this is, a uh, you know, a wig, of course, but it could be made into a shirt, a jacket, underwear, socks. The possibilities are limitless. We don't need carbon taxes. We just need to save the, the floor sweepings the next time you go to the barbershop or the hair salon. Okay. The Washington Post climate solutions reporter. That's his actual name. The Washington. I'm a climate solutions reporter. Ooh, that's great. You're you're solving climate change. Ding 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 on the virtue signal meter. Okay, Nicholas Rivero, the Washington Post climate science climate solutions reporter. When Zofia Collar gets a haircut, she can't help but think about all the precious material the hairdresser is sweeping into the trash. And we, the United States and Canada throw out 32 tons of hair per day. Uh, and they go on to say there are two environmental advantages of weaving with human hair. Keeps hair out of landfills, incinerators, where it releases greenhouse gases from rotting or burning. And it avoids the consequences of clearing land to grow cotton, drilling for oil to make synthetic fibers, or sharing wool from sheep. Sheep aren't sustainable. Synthetic fibers from oil aren't sustainable and you can't grow cotton because you have to clear fields. So our only option is human hair. Now this goes in line with the 2019 report uh, from the world's mayors. uh, And this would be led by Mayor Bloomberg uh, and Mayor Bloomberg's report in 2019, the C40 Cities report called for limiting three new clothing items per person per year by 2030 to avoid a climate breakdown. And this was, of course, corporate sponsorship by Google, FedEx, IKEA, among others. And when I was in Dubai at the United Nations Climate Summit, we had they, they had a fashion event in Dubai, uh, the fashion UN's fashion police, the runway to net zero. And they literally said, it depends on how many clothes you can have. And I got, I now know what they meant back in December. The United Nations spokesman on the at the Net Zero fashion event, uh, the runway to Net Zero, you know, your fashion Net Zero runway, said it depends if they're going to limit us to only three new items of clothing per person per year. And what does it depend on? Well, 
If you have clothing and a jacket made out of human hair, you can get more than three. But if you're using wool, if you're using synthetic fiber uh, or any other type of non-approved fiber, you can't get more than three. We now know what the UN is up to. So my comment on this is if we share all our heads bald and donate our locks to save the planet, our betters in the climate world will allow us to buy more than three new items of clothing per person per year. Of course, after they strip us of our curls, what will they come for next? Will they demand we do the human skin next? I mean, this is just bonkers. And this comes on the heels of another report, the UN Fashion Police, not UN Fashion Police, but this was in the UK Guardian. Wash and blow dry your hair and talk to me about global warming, please, was the headline. Hairdressers are trained to talk, talk about climate action to customers. And yes, there are climate activists training hairdressers. So the next time you sit down for a haircut at the barber, if you're a woman, you go to a salon, getting a hair dye, a perm, whatever it is, you're going to be lectured to about your carbon footprint. So that's the world in which we live. It's nuts. It's insane. I call it the wacky world of climate. But human hair is now your future clothing option. But the good news is they'll let you have more than three new human hair made items per year. Okay. Wow, I'm exhausted. Okay. It's little reasons why this, more of the C40s report from Mayor Bloomberg from, uh, uh, this would have been 2019. And just to give you that report, I'm gonna lead you into my first clip here today. This was from the report, consumption interventions for clothing and textiles and associated targets. Again, this is Ikea, FedEx. This is um, uh, all these major corporate sponsors with Mayor Bloomberg and all these left-wing Democrat mayors around the United States endorsed. This may have been international mayors. The consumption intervention, reduced number of clothing items, progressive target in 2030, eight new clothing items per person per year. That's the progressive target. That's the one like if we're doing well, if you've already given up, if we banned all gas powered cars, if no one's eating meat, if all your thermostats are controlled by the utility, if uh, you know all the flights have been banned and there's no flights under 10 hours and those are only private jets and blah, blah. The ambitious target, what they really want of the forces of the Great Reset, the corporate government collusion, are three new items of clothing per person per year. That was in the actual C40s report in addition to meat and dairy bans by the year 2030. So they are coming for us. All of these kind of things, these kind of bans, you wake up every day, they're coming after something new, they're coming after house plants, they're coming after home gardens, they're coming after your washing machine, your dishwasher, your pizza ovens, uh, your, uh, your rice, whatever it is. It's all one of the reasons why the honest liberals and the old fashioned liberals are coming around. Uh, former progressive Jimmy Dore, uh, who was on the Young Turks. This was a show of you know pretty far left Democrats. They were Democrat socialists who hated the Democrat you know establishment and they were so far left. He was red-pilled by COVID. In fact, he was vaccine injured. And when, that's what made him start questioning lockdowns and mask mandates and vaccine mandates. He started interviewing people like Robert Malone on his program. And I was fascinated because I said he now understands what the World Health Organization is, what the UN is. I wonder what his views on climate. And then boom, he started changing his views on climate. And this is clip one. I want you to watch this. This is a former progressive who admits he believed all the lies about climate coming from the UN, coming from Bill Gates, coming from the mainstream media. And he's been red-pilled. Uh, this is clip one, Jimmy Dore on why he no longer believes in climate change. This is an encouraging clip. 
Well, I can tell you this. So the reason why I was excited to have you on is because when I would watch an, a video like Elon Musk, I believed it. I believed everything, everywhere, you know, and and then Russiagate happened in 2016. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with climate? Well, what that showed me is that when the establishment wants to manufacture a narrative and wants to manufacture a crisis, they can do it and they can get most everybody to believe it. And they've been doing it now, Russiagate, for eight years, and it led to a war in Ukraine. Americans would not be on board for the war in Ukraine if they knew actually how it started and if they didn't think that Putin overthrew our election in 2016 and that Trump was working with them. That was all made up. That was all revealed to be made up uh, because the FBI and the Clinton campaign, the Clinton campaign made up the P dossier that was all made up and paid for by Hillary Clinton, by the way. And then she lied to the FBI about it for a year, said she didn't pay for it. And of course you did. And then the FBI lied to the FISA court 17 times so they could get taps on Donald Trump's phone. And so this isn't a this isn't me saying I like Donald Trump. This is me letting you know that when the establishment wants to lie to you, they lie to you. And when they want to make up a narrative, they make up a narrative. COVID was mostly made up uh, their their solutions to it. The lockdown had no scientific basis. Uh, Masks had no scientific basis. We took an, uh, an emergency medical author authorized vaccine they had to change the definition of what vaccines were for us to call that a vaccine wow i don't know who could have been more eloquent in explaining that when the establishment wants you to believe something they will go all out and he used to slop all this up until he saw what they started doing to donald trump because they didn't like him until he saw what they saw doing during covid and all the lies because it achieved their ends that is how someone explains being red-pilled. I give full kudos to Jimmy Dore in that explanation. By the way, he was interviewing Tony Heller in that interview about the climate scam. And Tony Heller will be joining this program uh, later, either this week or next week, on Unleashed. So stay tuned. I'll let you know when he joins us. Okay. What he just explained was how he instinctively knew that climate was being lied to because all these other major issues in his life were being lied to. It wasn't about the science. It was about the politics perverting the science to basically do whatever the politics demanded of the science, trademark. Okay, so along with all of this, you have, this is uh, Australian Senator Malcolm Roberts, who I also plan on having on the show. Smart meters are cutting off your power is no longer a conspiracy theory. It's already here. Now, before I show you this clip, this is happening in the U.S. In Colorado in summer 2022, the local utility during a heat wave was stopping people from cranking their AC to cool off their homes because they were worried about blackouts and the people had no choice. Uh, they just the, the utility overrode their thermostats, these smart thermostats. Uh, I actually have inadvertently have a smart thermostat. They put them in by default unless you're willing to go through crazy amounts of paperwork and filling out forms um, and you have to be alerted to it. I was alerted after the fact, so it's even extra bureaucratic steps. They really don't want you to give up your smart meter. But this is where we're headed. This is clip two, Australian Senator Malcolm Roberts, who just explains this brilliantly. The World Economic Forum warned Australians you will own nothing and be happy. What they didn't say was they'd use your smart meter to turn off your air conditioning and cut your lights out. It's just the latest conspiracy theory come true. For years, One Nation has been warning of the dystopian energy future Australia faces under this Labor, Green, Teals, Pocock government. That future is here already. 
Last week we learned that Energex, Queensland's state-owned power network, remotely throttled air conditioners in almost 170,000 homes and businesses. Six times in the past two months. This was done to shore up an increasingly fragile energy grid that's increasingly on the brink of collapse. It was done using so-called PeakSmart program. Sounds wonderful. Where households are convinced into accepting state-controlled smart meters in air conditioners in exchange for a small $400 rebate. Many are not aware they're handing over complete control of their electricity use to Energex. Many are not even aware they can say no to a smart meter. You don't have to put it in. What's appalling is the very idea that energy rationing is imposed on a state with the world's best coal reserves and abundant natural gas reserves. Wow, really well explained. And that's exactly what you're doing. And what's happening globally now is we're handing over uh, once cheap, abundant energy to the forces of the Great Reset, to the corporate government collusion, to the bureaucratic bean counters who would have uh, regulate every aspect. What he described there is how happening in Europe, it's happening in the United States. In France, you couldn't use your air conditioner higher than 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, which is pretty darn warm, or 81, you'd be penalized. They had controls coming in. Uh, this is no longer a conspiracy theory, as he says, as Senator Malcolm Roberts of Australia really laid out incredibly. And not only that, when you have EVs, they're talking about a national EV charging grid. The next uh, virus outbreak where they want to lock down the country, ban interstate travel, everyone's on EVs because they're mandated and gas-powered cars are a thing of the past. What happens? They can just shut down the the charging grid. Your car ain't going nowhere. And uh, the same thing with uh, whether it's whether it's cars and whether it's uh, planes. They can ground these. When um, in Russia, when Putin invaded Ukraine, Elon Musk was under intense pressure to disable the uh, Teslas that were in in Russia to sort of punish Russians. Uh, and he declined to do that. But apparently you can remotely shut off EVs. And Ford in 2023 filed a patent to remotely shut down your car if you get behind in your car payments. So, and then of course you have the car proposals and the OBD electronics by the, by the federal government and the energy bill that would have breed your breath that if it detects alcohol, it will shut the car down on the side of the road, no due process. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be in a bad section of town. This is frightening stuff. And the thing is, it's all based on the arrogance. These people believe that they have this kind of omnipotent power, resources, and intellect to implement this flawlessly and make this a reality. That's what's so frightening about all of this, is this idea that this sort of this conceit, if you will, uh, that they'll be able to roll. In the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum explained it that you won't own nothing and you'll be happy of course we've all heard that but there was an essay in support of that about how you won't even own a blender and they had this very deep scenario how you won't own your apartment you'll sleep in it at night and then you'll go to work in the day and then a business will rent it out during the day and use it for a conference and then leave and then you'll go back in and if you want a blender it'll become you order one up on an app it'll come in on a drone it'll be dropped off you'll use the blender then you'll send it back on the drone for the next person and this is all going to be centrally designed, not like free market and competing forces and everyone improving and technological advancement. No, this is going to be done by unelected bureaucrats masterminding this whole human race. And they actually think they can do it and that they're smart enough. Why not? They're the, the best and brightest, the best schools of education. Pretty frightening stuff. And if you complain about it, 
They'll accuse you of defamation and they'll silence you and fine you a million dollars. This is former GOP Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, clip three, talking about what the Mark Stein verdict means for our society and just a little background on it. So let's watch former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Well, succinctly, freedom of speech died today in the D.C. court. This was a shocking decision that just came out. The jurors found Mark Stein and Rand Simberg. They both wrote blog posts that were critical of Michael Mann's hockey stick. The hockey stick was the basis of the IPCC's report on climate change. We have to recognize the context. All of our lives globally are being turned upside down by this green agenda. This is costing nations trillions of dollars. That's why Joe Biden is saying you can't have a natural gas stove anymore. So everything is about to change radically. And she's hitting the nail on the head. Because of this now, Michael Mann is now looking to reopen the lawsuits after his victory against Mark Stein and, and Rand Simberg. He's looking to reopen lawsuits against uh, National Review, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and who knows who else. Um, this is now, the Washington Post, of course, is giddy that this is going to include election deniers are going to be brought to justice uh, for, for basically dissenting, uh, and that COVID deniers and vaccine deniers, you see where this is going to go, gun violence deniers, anyone that you can think of, they can now start smearing in the courts. What a great precedent. And of course, Mark Stein is appealing. We wish him all the best, and we'll be following that and let you know. Well, this is where it gets scary. So what is this called? This is a moderator of a World Economic Forum panel. I believe this is actually from not the most recent uh, Great Davos Summit. It was the one in 2023, not 24. So it was a little, about a year ago. But this shocked me. Shaping a shared future, making the metaverse. He's talking about how the, the wealthy will still be able to travel under this great reset, right? Remember, you'll own nothing, you'll go nowhere, you'll be happy, you'll have no privacy, life will never be better. Everything I just said is verbatim from the World Economic Forum. But here's the way, he's actually explaining that the poor will still get to travel, just a more virtual kind of travel. So let's play clip five. There's gonna be people um, of means who are going to travel, and then there's gonna be people maybe who are of lesser means who might actually be able to use an, an Oculus or uh, a Magic Leap or some other kind of device uh, to travel to the same place, but from their own, their own couch. But in many ways, it's actually gonna create even more distance between those, the, 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 those two people that, that psychologically, and I think that we've experienced this through social media, in many ways, it's brought people closer in certain ways, but actually created this remarkable divide because there's, it's even more visible actually the divide in certain ways. So he laid it out there. The wealthy will be able to travel, but the poor will use virtual reality headsets to travel to the, to the same place from their own couch. You'll go nowhere and get to travel internationally. You can go see the pyramids in Egypt. You can go to Australia. You can go to Antarctica. Hell, you can go to the moon. Why not? Because you're traveling great reset style through virtual headsets. But hey, during that last that week of January 2021, Bill Gates was calling for longer, harder lockdowns to keep COVID at bay. The same week Bill Gates did that back in January 2021, he was bidding on the world's largest private jet transport company for he and his fellow billionaire pals enforces the Great Reset and corporate CEOs because they ain't going to be affected. And this is what happened in um, 
France with the two and a half hour flight ban or less. The banning short haul flights didn't affect private jets. This is what all the climate compliance costs saying. You know, Bloomberg News, cheap airline travel will be a thing of the past as we go forward with all the net zero commitments. It's incredible how they say it all. All right, I got one more clip. This is Klaus Schwab um, basically envisioning a future propelled propelling us with technology to a, quote, new dawn of human civilization, AI robotics. Pretty scary stuff. Clip four, Klaus Schwab's vision. And finally, I had about 20 pages of text, and I asked ChatGPT, summarize the text and tell me now, based on our discussion, how will the new era, the intelligent era, look like? And I read you the text. Envisioning a future propelled by the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution, we see a new dawn of human civilization, one that harmonizes technology with the deepest needs and aspirations of humanity. This vision unfolds within a society where artificial intelligence, robotics, the internet of the things, 3D printing, genetic engineering, quantum computing become the foundations of our daily life, yet are guided by a profound respect for human values, creativity, and the natural world. The natural world. It doesn't sound very natural. Uh, this new dawn of human civilization he speaks of with AI, robotics, 3D printing, genetic engineering. When did that become the natural world uh, or in harmony with the natural world? Uh, this is a frightening dystopian future that we have to fight. Okay, well, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff to unpack there today. Uh, Joining us when we come back will be Professor Ted Steele, a molecular cellular immunologist, geneticist, microbiologist, author of six books and 100 scientific papers. Uh, we're going to be talking all things medical and public health. Uh, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano, but I do have one other and a quick announcement. Um, last December, Julian Assange's two-day Public hearing was announced on February 2021st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited by the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. Also, the London premiere of The Trust Fall. Julian Assange will be at the Rio Cinemas on Sunday, the 18th of February at 1 p.m. So next week, the film will be followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with Tariq Ali and Christina uh, Hrafson, and hopefully Sheila Assange. To find out more, go to Google and search for The Trust Fall, Julian Assange, London premiere. This is uh, TNT, Mark Morano on Unleashed. We'll be right back after these messages with Ted Steele. TNT's Pervoye Morich. He details factually how Russia is rolling out the algorithm ghetto. Um, you know, the, the, the multipolar edition of the algorithm ghetto, a prototype of a traffic light that records traffic violations by a pedestrian at a crossing was tested in Moscow. So Russians now, they'll, they'll have a, the government will take a snapshot of their face 
and then run that through the databases to figure out who is who and then find them, uh, I suppose. Uh, and then, you know, he, he points out that there are a lot of developments now. Moscow 2030, it's, it's uh, they want to make uh, Moscow achieve smart city status. Uh, and there's just, you know, you, you look at the white papers, Moscow and Russia are all in on Agenda 2030, smart cities, algorithm ghetto, digital IDs. For Voye Morich on today's News Talk TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, joining us now is Edward Ted Steele, a molecular cellular immunologist, geneticist, and microbiologist, and author of six books and over 100 scientific papers, conducting research at the Australian National University, the John Curtis School of Medical Research, uh, and many others. Professor Steele, I'm Professor Steele, thank you for joining the program today. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on, Mark. All right, well, thank you. You've written and thought a lot about covid public health, uh, the, the vaccines, all the mandates. Let's just start with an open-ended question for you. First, uh, first of all, what did the United States and the global government and the World Health Organization get wrong about their response to COVID-19? And I'll, and I'll let you take over. You can have the rest of the show. Good night. No, no sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, well, where do you start? I think, yeah. I think the public health response, uh, which is separate from the origins that I was going to talk about, uh, the yes. public response has been, in fact, everyone agrees, any, any expert agrees that followed any of it, any of the evidence. It's a, It's been a public health failure. And I suppose we've now got Fauci 12, 12 months ago with his his group of colleagues publishing a big paper in host and, uh, and microbe, uh, oh, sorry, cell host and microbe, that it, they admit it was a public health failure. The vaccine program was in, was inducing the inappropriate immunity uh, but the vex, but they they steer clear of mRNA. Look, everything was a disaster with COVID. Uh, if you want me to talk about that, I can. But I thought I was going to be talking about the the origin. We will, yes, yeah, yeah, we will, we will. I just I'm start there. Okay. Well, let me talk. Let me just throw this slightly curveball. Fauci's merved, merged COVID and climate, and said that infectious diseases. He wrote this, and I think the journal of New England Medicine are largely the result of human encroachment on nature aided by climate changes. So let's go right where you want to go. Right, uh, Was well, this yeah. caused by climate change, as Anthony Fauci says in the New England Journal of Medicine? That's the most one of the most prestigious medical journals. 
or was there another origin of well, COVID-19? Well, yeah, yeah, there is another origin. And, I'm, <laughs> and, and I really have to be a bit level-headed now because these things are coming thick and fast at us, you know. Uh, Anthony Fauci runs with the um, foxes and hunts with the hounds. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I know when he's lying uh, and I know when he's telling telling the truth. You know, he's an immunologist like me. He's across much of the same information I'm across but he's just a pure political operator now, unfortunately. Uh, but he's still being listened to in, in some quarters. Uh, look, this is a natural, I just want to stress, this has been a naturally occurring phenomenon, okay? Uh, and it is going to happen again. Uh, I've got to stress that. And we've got to learn the lessons from these suddenly emerging pandemics. You know, forget about disrupting our forests and the climate change and all that sort of stuff. That's a diversion. Throughout history, before any of our industrial age even emerged, where you know the, uh, the record clearly shows sudden emergence of pandemics of various types of virus and bacterial. So it seems to me, Mark, we've got to have a clear idea of where this thing came from, um, where they come from, where these suddenly emergent pandemics come from, so that we can handle them more rationally. Now, I don't think the truth is necessarily going to. Uh, um, enhance a lot of people or, or even help people but i think it and it, it may in fact offend people but i think it will help us handle the next events more rationally i'm not well, optimistic about that but i i think if we have a clear understanding of where it come from now there are there are three i'll dispose with the first one you know the zoonotic event that is the animal jump the one that he's talking about that fauci's talking about that's where a lot of them think it came from uh, can I can I interject one thing there? It yeah. seems as though as we've developed as a society with the Industrial Revolution, humans have been more removed from nature. We're now in buildings with carpeting and air conditioning and heating. Yes. We're not no longer out hunter-gatherers, clear-cutting and slash and burn. So it actually, that would seem less of an argument that we're more intertwined with nature. Aren't we less intertwined? Just to go at, well, ask yes, that. We are. Yes, we are. But um, yes, but you know, the question is whether COVID came from an animal jump right that was the first one and a lot of yeah. the a lot of the molecular virologists and microbiologists still believe that but the odds of that happening you know from the closest animal reservoir virus in southeast asia or anywhere the close of it happening you know the chance of, of it happening is one chance you know to get the match that ignited in china is one chance in 10 to the 180 that's for the that's for the theoretically closest virus that is the one the one that's 99 percent similar to COVID. uh the in the reservoir out there the closest one that we know of is 96.2 percent now if all of these numbers look well it must be incredibly similar you know it must be close but it isn't in the actual terms of the number of genetic or nucleotide changes between the reservoir uh, a virus or the theoretical one the one that's 99 percent and actually what ha happened, because I'm going to keep coming back to actually what happened and not speculate yeah. beyond that, uh, you know, is that's a, that's 300 changes, you know, for 99% similar, that's 300 changes across the 30,000 nucleotide genome, uh, all occurring at the right spots to give you the exact match for HU1. HU1 is the one that appeared in Wuhan or Hubei province, okay, and that's the reference strain for everything that, that, that evolved from it. Uh, or and that would you relate to so it's impossible now all the experts agree it's impossible but they still cling to you know the idea that it came from an animal because they can't think of beyond that now there's another group of course 
who take that evidence that it didn't it couldn't have come from an animal though it had to be human engineered and the main the main evidence they bring to bear for that is that this virus is ready to go you know that's incredible ready to ready to go and it has gain of function features you know that's another thing they bring to be they're, they're, they're the essential arguments but all the experts that look at viral genomes bacterial genomes human genomes, you know i'm one of those like and you know the ones that are you know that are in the news are people like ed holmes christian anderson um, andrew rambo and even anthony fauci understands his evidence that's why he won't buckle either from it that's why i know he's telling the truth on this one is is that all of these gain of function all these interesting sequence features they occur all the time through the virome. That is the world of all viruses and the world of bacteria for that matter. And you see many of these strange sequences even cropping up in the human gen a genome at, at a very high frequency. I just want to stress that viruses in the atmosphere, because that's, that's where we're going, viruses in the atmosphere are extraordinary. There are 800 million viruses coming in every day into the into the troposphere that is a lower atmosphere below the mountains or at the mountain height so and they're coming down to earth they're floating down to earth and they're going into the ocean so we have we have hundreds of millions of them every day coming in now that's it's extremely important to keep that in mind that we're surrounded in our airborne environment by dust particles that contain bacteria and viruses. Now, a simple microbiologist, you know, test in the lab, if you can remember back to your high school or university days, if you did it, is you expose a Petri disc to the, you know, the bench for 10 minutes and you come back and, and then you put it in the incubator and you come back, look at all the different colonies that grow that, and they're bacteria. We're not, that's not a viruses. The point I want to make is that, you know, we're surrounded by them. So the human engineered lab leak to me, uh, it's fanciful because it doesn't fit with all of the epidemiology evidence that took place originally across China. Do you realise, people forget this, that China erupted on scale across the country at roughly the same time in the month of January 2020. Uh, that data we can believe, that that data has been recorded at the Johns Hopkins Centre for uh, System Science and Eng Engineering and many other uh, uh, data sites like Our World in uh, Data. Uh, the point is that after about January and early February, China refused to release information to the world of what was happening. It just wasn't even updating the databases. So, But we can believe China through December and January for a lot of reasons. Because when, the, when it was first evident there was something strange happening in China, and it was related to the original SARS uh, pandemic of 20 years ago, China... The Chinese scientists and American scientists and people like Fauci and all these, everyone pitched in and we got the analytics, the PCR tests and the sequencing out real fast. It's because of the relationship between SARS-1 and SARS-2. They're so similar, you can use the same primers and PCR techniques and sequencing techniques to get on top of it. So they knew very quickly that this was a new, this was very different from the original SARS-1 because two, just too many differences, you know, over a, th over a thousand differences. But it was very similar, nevertheless. Now, um, that allowed them to... So by mid-January, the world had the analytics and it was provided by China. And it's been, since been verified by many other labs around the world that that's, that, that data is correct. The question was that we now know it wasn't a serious virus. It was just a common cold virus. You know, that's all it caused. It was just dangerous for elderly people who were comorbid with other conditions 
uh, median age about 84. In Australia, the you know the death rate, the actual causal death rate from COVID for respiratory crisis was about 84 years old. But that happened everywhere in the in the advanced world where they've got methods to detect it. The point I'm trying to make is that the the pandemic erupted on scale throughout China in 2020, and uh, so that's the first thing you've got to try and explain. And then it erupted on the the 40 degree north latitude line. There were null zones all over the world. Why was it confined to China? And then why did it appear in the next couple of months in countries like Iran, Italy, Spain? You know, you know quick succession from January, February into March in that sort of order. Uh, of course, countries near China, South Korea and Japan, also had a bit of spillover earlier. But the actual ignitions of the big epidemics, you know, the ones that occurred suddenly that were freaking everyone out, like on Lombardy, and then New York City, they all call, they all occurred on the on the forty degree north line, that latitude band. Then it spilled over. Then it was dis diffusing by April May. It was diffusing off the band and many other countries. And then the southern hemisphere became engaged. But there was a very clear time sequence and geographical sequence the way this thing evolved. Now, if you're going to have you know a lab leak theory where it was a deliberate bioweapon, a common cold, which always amazes me how they could, how, you know, who would want to produce the common cold as a bioweapon, but that's another issue. Uh, how did it ignite across China on that scale? And then how did it move on the 40 degree north line? And how was it then after China? How did some of the elements of the, you know, the viral elements of the Chinese uh, pandemic start appearing in cruise ships across the Pacific in the other direction? Not in the direction I just showed, you know, from east, uh, uh, from uh, from west to east across the uh, Pacific, and there were many ships engaged from uh, February, April, May in the in the Pacific, and there were some really crucial ones for our perspective because we're geneticists as well. We actually analyse, you know, sequence data for the virus. That's why I can talk with confidence about these numbers. Uh, the the Grand Princess. Just remember back in about um, February, twenty twenty. The Grand Princess between Hawaii and San Francisco became engaged suddenly, and it was uh, it was uh, uh, a big outbreak. Vice President Pence was asked by Trump to organise the the isolation of the ship. They parked it off Monterey. They did some genomic sequencing on the passengers. They got about we've got about thirty sequences that are in the public database, and then no more data came out. But those 30 sequences were enough that showed us that we had we had the same essentially the same virus that was a, that was erupting in china on the grand princess about you know about within the month um so yeah uh, go on sorry I, I just want to say that we interpret that as wind transplantation of the human passage plume from china across the pacific to strike the the grand princess anyway I've, you you want to say something all right. Well, so I'm um, saying so you, you're asking a lot of questions. Why, why, why? So what's the answer to that? So you're saying the virus came simplified. Did the virus virus didn't come from a bat? Did it come from the Wuhan lab? And then how do you explain the way it spread? No, it didn't come from the Wuhan lab uh, right. uh, at all. Uh, look, we've published. I can't go into all. I don't have time to go through all the evidence, but I'm just giving you the, the main evidence. The first yeah. is it's it just it does it looks perfectly natural. Everybody involved in viral evolution and you know immunology microbiology so the next and because it's airborne it's definitely an airborne virus on scale 
because it gets moved around the world on scale. The only other source is a cosmic source. And this is incredible to people that do not understand the scientific literature or the history of pandemics or any of the evidence that supports the statement. But I'm one of those scientists uh, associating with, you know, the pioneers of this field going back 50 to 60 years, Fred Hoyle and Chandrawick Ramasanghi. Chandrawick Ramasanghi is still alive and I, he's my collaborator. And he's co-author on many of our papers, on pretty all of our papers that I'm, and, and we've produced 20-odd papers during COVID, serially, that is temporarily, over time, explaining what happened during those, that two-year period. And uh, they're collected together in a, a, a book. It's all published. So I'm not saying things lightly. It's all based on, on evidence. I've got to stress that. But one of the arguments that the that I've, I've noticed lately, I've completely no a lab league ad, advocate wants to even engage me on, is this: when when the when the meteor, well, let me explain what we think happened. That a carbonaceous meteorite came in uh, on the night of October the 11th in 2019 over Jilin in northeast China. The the liberated dust, as the meteor, as this loosely held meteorite was coming in, it was liberating viral laden dust from a a life-bearing uh, a meteorite, and it liberated that dust before the fireball. The reason I have to stress this is when people think of a fireball coming in, how could any living entity possibly survive the fireball? Well, they don't. The point is that all the liberated viral Latin dust was liberated before the, the strike, okay? Just, you, you've got to think of, in cosmic terms now. 70,000 kilometres an hour, these things are racing in. Within seconds, they've gone through the upper atmosphere, then they're getting into the, into the stratosphere. When they're in the stratosphere, that's when we get the fireball. And the fireball are the, you know, granite rocks and iron rocks that will that simply don't liberate. They just explode through the heat. But, but there's been a dust trail laid down which floats down gently to Earth, and that was the one that contaminated China and allowed China to go up on great scale, on the scale that, I, that I've mentioned at the same time. But because it was striking on the 40-degree north line, it was being distributed by those stratospheric winds that, that are going from China through, you know, in the other direction, uh, uh, from, um, from east to, uh, uh, to west. And that's how the, that line became engaged in the progressive steps I mentioned, Iran, Italy and Spain, and then New York City. In fact, we published a paper predicting New York City was the next major strike zone because of that uh, uh, of that. Uh, because it was hanging on to that 40-degree north line. And then, of course, lower down, as populations become engaged and huge epidemics become engaged you know, across China uh, in, the, in the month of January, you get these aerosol viral laden plumes going into the atmosphere you know, and, and associating with dust particles in the atmosphere. And we're talking about dust particles that are about you know, anywhere from 2 to 10 microns in diameter. You know, we're talking about invisible particles that are in the atmosphere and these coalesce as clouds because they're charged and these charged and these clouds you know at various heights get from at least from three kilometers get distributed around the world in the in the prevailing wind systems so that's how the virus was striking places so suddenly all over the all over the world it's a completely different epidemiology model to the epidemiologists who thought it was just simple pedestrian person-to-person -person spread that is gets into one person, grows there, and a week later it gets transferred to another person. Okay? It didn't happen okay. that way. Sorry. Well, we have to take a break. We're going to continue this conversation. Yeah. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. We're talking with 
Immunologist and microbiologist uh, Dr. Ted Steele will be right back after these messages. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data, at least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. Now I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket-propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was going to make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Mark Morano is unleashed, and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed on TNT with Mark Morano. All right, we're continuing our talk with uh, Dr. Ted Steele, the immunologist and microbiologist. All right, let's, uh, doctor, let's talk just a question. You said it's from a cosmic source, a meteor. Just ex explain this in really in layman's terms for us. Are you saying the virus is from outer space, essentially, and not from a lab? It's not from zoo, uh, you know, from uh, you know, nature or uh, any any source like that. Explain that a little, just a little bit. Reiterate that point exactly where yeah, you believe. Yeah, the source good point, Mark. Uh, the, the point is, there's a deep uh, scientific literature and historical literature that supports that claim that the universe is in fact teeming with life. And uh, all I can all I can say is that the um, um, I'm going to have to turn this off. Sorry. 
uh, that the that the universe is teeming with life, and there's a lot of evidence for uh, for the claim. Uh, the major incubators of living systems in our solar system and in the universe would be the comets. That's that's where the original predictions are, are made, and all of the evidence surrounding it supports that 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 claim. So we we have a life bearing meteorite that came in and liberated viruses that were incubated in a comet millions of years ago, probably cryopreserved, and have, have probably been cryopreserved for a long time in, in that in that meteor. But that is, you know, in a deep frozen frozen state. And then they were liberated as the as the meteorite uh, fragment uh, you know came in through the atmosphere as viral laden dust. So for those who are familiar with the evidence, that is not surprising at all. But of course, this immediately raises issues: where did where did life begin in the universe? Did it begin on Earth, or did it did it did it begin in the cosmos? And all the evidence suggests that it began in the cosmos, and life has just simply been seeded on Earth over the last four four point five billion billion years. Um, in other words, life has almost an infinite eternal quality to it, and it's in the you know it's 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 part and parcel of the fabric of the of the universe. So in simple terms, the universe is teeming with life. The representatives that we see, the ones that we really react to, are when we have pandemics uh, striking us. But of course, the fossil record and the record of Earth over the last 4.5 billion years is littered with comet, comet strikes, you know, at different times, you know, usually 50 to 100 million years separating the major ones. So we don't normally see it. But when the one that, the regular ones we see are the pandemics. And the coronaviruses, the influenza viruses, other viruses, other bacterial infections like whooping cough, um, other other things that occurred, for example, like the Black Death and all those sorts of diseases. All the evidence suggests that they've come in the same way. In other words, the initial evidence in many of these cases, it's not person to person, it's coming from the air and striking suddenly. That's very important. That's why you know COVID absolutely supports that contention. The epidemiology with COVID for the epidemic, uh, uh, sudden ep epidemics cannot be explained by person-to-person -person spread. It has to be airborne strikes. So that's why I've, I've stressed that. Can I just make one point I was going to make just before we went sure. to, we went off? And that is that if it was a Wuhan lab leak, you know, that was spreading in November, how is it that COVID variants very that are virtually essential to the ones that were appearing during the pandemic that we've analysed, were appearing in the throats of Italians in Lombardy a month before. The earliest detections of COVID on Earth, COVID genomes, the ones that were part of the pandemic, were from October 17th in Lombardy, Italy, in asymptomatic patients. Um, I, I can't give you, but it's all published. It's, it's in a, a scientific paper. And when I put that point to any lab leak advocate or human, they just simply freeze up. They don't want to engage me even further. It's, it's very difficult to get any of them to talk to me. But they, they just freeze up with that one and they simply can't explain. I just say, explain how, you know, it's in Amen, Amen Dollar, it's all at my website and other these papers. How is it that that could happen? And we think it's because of that dust coming down on the 40-degree north line, there were spot infalls. Before the main eruption that we saw in China, there were spot infalls at other places on the 40-degree north line. That's why I stress that point. And Lombardy's right on the 40-degree north line. So you see what I'm trying to get at here? The... Um, that uh, there is, in fact, evidence for it. Now, it means people are going to have to take the time to read the papers and books documenting that evidence. And I don't really have enough time in the short interview like this to, uh, to go through it, but I can I can certainly vouch for it. 
But everything I've said, I can back up with scientific evidence. Well, let me ask you this. If, assuming this came from the, the meteor and it's maybe really old virus, you said it was cryogenetically preserved. Does this imply that, it, what kind of life does it imply that it came from? Do you think it was a, just a low level cellular life? Would it be a higher life form? Would it be a well, human? Can yeah, you yeah. tell anything from that? Can you tell anything from that about what yeah, that is? Yeah, we can actually, and we have evidence on the ground supporting it. <laughs> what you're saying is, see, viruses have to be grown in source cells. That is, source cells which, you know, uh, that allow the virus to replicate. And the source cells in this cometary incubator uh, would have, have been a form of life at least compatible with infections of, of, of vertebrate animals, okay, at least that level. Because we know with COVID, COVID was, was, was infecting bats, cats, tigers, uh, armadillos, um, and it was also, um, oh, there's, there are a few deer, wild, wild deer in, in, around the Great Lakes in North America. There were all sorts of animals that were catching it. But now that leads to the next point. So when these infalls occur, both human, the, and, the, and it comes incompatible with, you know, of the sort we've just seen with, with the coronavirus, it will infect many vertebrate type species. Humans are the ones we're concerned with because we're the ones that get these colds and we can see the symptoms, particularly in an old person. And that's where we knew it was a new one. But the point is the virus can grow. Now, when, what this comes to a very important point. When the virus starts growing in a bat or an armadillo or a deer, will it be the same? When it gets liberated from that infected animal or a Bronx Zoo tiger, that was another one that got infected, will it, when it gets liberated from that animal who's suffering its own cold or respiratory uh, infection, will it be the same virus that actually infected to come in? The answers are, the chances are no. It'll be, it'll be mutated by the host-parasite relationship. This is how the virus gets endemic and moves within its own species group or, from, or you know, potentially could jump, but it would have to be still close for that to, you know, to happen. So um, there, there's a very big dynamic going on here with the, with the genetics of the virus, which is just simply not even, not even part of the conversation. Every animal that gets COVID would, would, would mangle it to get the right sequence so it could grow in that animal. It would be growing. And, and that's and we've and we published that, that possibility at the back in 2020 to try and explain and understand the different changes, the mutational changes going on within COVID as it was spreading early. It's it, it's a it's a it's a you know it's a riboswitching haplotype sorting process that goes on. You know, when the virus gets in and starts multiplying, say, you know in a, a human being, it will it will actually produce variants because the cell is trying to mutate the virus. So there'll be some virus sequences that are being mutated. Some might thrive. And the one that thrives and then gets out of the cell and, and infects the cell next door, that's the one that eventually emerges in that human being as the, as the virus that was found in that person. But below, below that one that escaped, there'd be probably... 50 to 100 other variants that are there in the person that you don't see. You see, it's a, it, is a, it is in fact a sort of a Darwinian selection process for the viruses that are going on for those that can get through the host-parasite relationship. Now, I, I don't want to use any more technical terms than that, but that's what happens. So, yes, the answer to your question is this virus coming in would have had source cells that were compatible with at least down to the lower, you know, a vertebrate animals. Just All right. The, well, thank the evidence we we know. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're out of time. Thank you so much for that provocative and in depth 
analysis of the origins of COVID-19. I'm not really not familiar with that. So I appreciate you coming on the program today. Uh, this has been Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Thank you, Dr. Ted Steele, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.